0: Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we have a married couple who are in the process of figuring out to do with a 100-acre farm, but we're going to start by introducing Krista and Saz, And let's uh, get going. So first of all, Krista, tell us about your academic background.
1: Uh, Well, I am a trained occupational therapist. I went to uh, University of Ottawa in occupational therapy uh, back before it was a master's and it was just a bachelor's of science. Uh, I'm dating myself a little And uh, so since then, I've worked in occupational therapy uh, for my entire career, primarily in brain injury rehab in the community. Um, I've done a lot of insurance work in terms of getting people benefits that they need to have after an injury. And uh, most recently, the last uh, decade or 15 years, I've been working in uh, rehabilitation for people who have been injured at work. And so I do assessments and coordinate their uh, return to work plans so that they can get back to um, the job of living in uh, whatever way they need uh, with accommodations and uh, so that their workplace is inclusive and meets their their needs uh, while they recover. So that's what I do.
0: Okay, Staz, what uh, what's your academic background and your work background?
2: I'm a tradesperson. I've been uh, kind of Got uh, trended in college into. Well, I was playing civil engineer, but ended up but just like my parents, but I ended up going into automotive and uh, kind of branched from there. Got my both licenses in the automotive trade, uh, and yeah, been working um, pretty much on everything from except motorcycles. I don't like motorcycles, but. Uh, <laughs> Cars, trucks, buses, um, and now, and now yeah, all kind of equipment. Trying to branch out to different uh, trades as well. Trying to get into electrician. Um, and
1: yeah, he's an electrician but, apprentice right but, now. But
2: being, uh, yeah, by being in trades, just did a lot of my own work at home with construction and stuff like that. Being set up barns and sheds and uh, bill pools and n- in-ground pools and digging and playing with toys. Just that's my background.
0: <laughs> you should have your own business. You do so many things. Stop it. Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> recently the two of you bought a 100-acre farm. Tell us the story behind that.
1: Well, I'm from Northern Ontario in Sudbury, and I grew up in the bush and on the side of a mountain in Espanola, Ontario, where my grandparents lived. And so my childhood was really about being out in nature. Uh, When I came to school here, um, I gradually sort of migrated from downtown Ottawa, further west as we, you know, bought houses and sort of uh, established ourselves. And when we had our children, we were living in Stittsville in suburbia, And my first son was born and I said, Oh my God, I don't even have a tree for him to climb. And it was a really awful foreign feeling. Um, So we began um, sending him to forest school, uh, which is a school that is like literally in the forest where they go for the full day with that experience came sort of the Genesis of this, this whole sense of wanting more space and wanting um, something that was sort of bigger than what we had from a community standpoint. And uh, so from that point, we started deciding we wanted to live on a farm. We wanted to purchase land. Uh, It took us 10 years of looking pretty much every single day on MLS and Kijiji and all of the other um, forums where you find deals and and properties. And finally, after many failed attempts, many, um, you know, trials to buy land, we were magically successful Uh, in in our bid to buy this this 100 acre property uh, four kilometers outside of carlton place and uh, it was a uh, the housing market is quite heavy uh, hot right now and the bidding process itself was pretty crazy Uh, we basically had to close our eyes and choose a number of our own imagination to try to and comfort (laughs) level (laughs) to try to win the property because that there was about 27 other people, um, bidding, uh, uh, with us on, on the land and on the house. Um, so when it happened that we were, um, the chosen, the chosen winners, let's say of, uh, of the purchase, um, we really wanted to honor the fact that it was such a magical, um, event in our life. It really was the culmination of a dream. Um, and the people who lived here before really were, were caretakers and guardians of the land. And so we kind of came into the space, um, humbled by the fact that this is like a hundred year old, um, generational property that, you know, we've, we've kind of come into, um, and that we really needed to sort of make that worthwhile. So that's where we are now. We just moved in December, December 2020. So we've only been here a few months. Um, We don't know the landscape very well because uh, we moved in the winter. So we're kind of in a a phase of uncovering. And it's almost like Christmas every day where we go outside and there's melt and there's changes in the landscape. So it's a really interesting time to be here right now.
0: So Stas, how does a trades guy become a farmer? (laughs)
2: Well, (laughs) because you work a lot of farmers, but that was always my dream since pretty much we moved to uh, Canada. And once I started getting into the real estate, when I was 23, I always wanted to own something that, but land, but for some reason, um, never developed into that. I don't know. It just took baby steps to get to it, but, uh. Uh, when you work, when you work on the equipment or you work with people, I work with a lot of farmers and just hearing their stories. And then, uh, funny enough, it's not only the older generation, but it's the younger generation farmers um, listening to their stories and their life experiences, and saying to myself, "This is exactly what I would be doing." Um, and just visiting some other someone else's properties or going for parties or just uh, seeing how they live. It's just ignited the fire even more. Mm-hmm.
1: Stas is also, his family is uh, an immigrant family as well, and they've relocated um, three times. And so I think that there's like an anchor, a sense of anchor there, um, of wanting sort of space that belongs to yourself um, to kind of further your your. Well, yeah it's just
2: I I keep telling saying that to everybody I lived yeah, in three different countries and I keep saying Canada is one of the best countries to live in and sometimes people just don't appreciate when they spend time here or live here and they they think for something else or looking for something else but you've got to really value the land and the country that you live in and then, like I say Canada for me I've been here for 21 years almost, and which would be the longest between the three countries I live
1: mm-hmm. in.
2: <laughs> and I keep saying that this is the best country to live in, and between the people, the multiculturalism. Um, and the landscape. And the, the landscape yeah. of the country, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So says, what was the reaction of the children when you told them you were looking at buying a farm
1: (laughs) the last one to this (laughs) one yeah
2: yeah well yeah um the uh the oldest one that recognizes it more right than um my actually no the middle daughter said right away when the first night she slept here she says oh i feel like somebody one of her grandparents asked her did feel like home yet and she says, well, on the, on the second week she was here, and she's like, oh, you always felt like home. So it was just a natural for her. And they, I mean, the old three kids are very outdoorsy, and they just go and explore. So they, I, I I don't know. I don't, like, I don't, I don't know if they, they they don't really see it yet. They don't really understand it. The oldest boy, like he does, the, the, like he, he recognizes what it is. But... Uh, I, I think it's also even for us for me too like it's every time we get out it's just still too it's like too soon it's been it hasn't been enough right because we've only been here through it's the winter exciting yes it still didn't sink in even in my mm-hmm. head that we own it
1: i think uh, our kids i think we did uh, have the chance to build value for our kids though because last summer uh we're really avid gardeners like s- significant gardens and last year we decided we wanted to expand because our house uh, in the country was primarily in a forested area. So we didn't have a lot of sunshine. So we couldn't garden the, uh, the way we wanted to. So we shared with a farmer friend of ours who, who graciously gave us a half acre to do with as we wanted to. And so we had a partnership with another um, friend and we hand gardened a half acre, hand planted, hand weeded everything um organically uh last summer and in doing that our kids were with us the whole time and they got to share in the ownership the pride of ownership of that land and their friend was there and basically you know their friend dean and dean is a farm boy and and every day dean has his you know farm t-shirt on that says the name of his farm. And, and the kids kind of recognize that as, you know, this, this is, this kid owns this farm, not only his parents, but there's a heritage here. And so I think we're coming into this land with our kids having a sense of that. And um, they definitely show it. They, they feel like they have a presence here, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah. So Slash, you're going to uh, be able to explore new equipment that uh, you, you, you may yeah, not have experienced before.
2: Yes, yeah. I'm, uh, actually, it was this morning shopping around the equipment. There.
1: Every second uh, of the day. I already would, would,
2: would bought a few more toys for uh, even what, with 10 o'clock in the morning today. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Funny stories Das has never, had, never been on a snow machine, he's been in Canada for 21 years. Yeah. And uh, basically grew up as a teenager and a young adult here. He's never been on a snow machine. So his first time on a snow machine was here on our property. Uh, Someone had to unload it from the truck when he bought it because he didn't know how to drive it. And Mm -hmm. then he ended up um, scooting around the property with it. So uh, the toys, the toys are coming. Yeah.
0: So (laughs) tractors and all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, tractor already bought. uh, Now
1: just buying
2: all attachments, like I said, but got two or three attachments this morning already. For him,
1: so <laughs> You didn't tell me that. It's yet. just
2: I know what Crystal's got lined up for me for gardens, so I better <laughs> prepare. I'm not doing it all by hand this year.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Okay. So moving forward, you got this beautiful 100-acre farm near Ottawa. What are you going to do with it? Hmm
1: well uh we are not professional farmers because uh we've never done that yet so we're we're avid gardeners but 100 acres is a lot to take on um so part of the property part of the reason we bought the property is that there was a severance available on it so we're bringing in uh stas's parents so they're going to purchase a part a portion of the land and build their house so that we can have a little um family community here and and they can support us and we can support them um but in on one side of the farm, there's a about a 15 acre parcel that's quite separate from our home, and it's uh, it, it's not visible from our house, and it's kind of just a boring hayfield right now. Uh, it has its own entrance, and it's a lovely landscape with gorgeous borders that uh, border on a maple forest that's more elevated with rocks and a sort of a ridge. Um, and we were thinking of designing a community farm in that space, uh, because it really is an ideal location to sort of bring people in so that they can start feeling a connection to the land and have access to space um, and experience what we did when my friend was so gracious to donate space to us last year so that we could play in the land and try growing things and succeed and fail and pick worms and do all those fun things.
0: So, so c- we're really community, community farm, what, what do you mean by that?
1: So the idea is really to have a space where um, social programs can develop naturally and, and uh, with, with coaching and, and with the input of, of various players in the community, uh, but that that can be centered around uh, food justice and food knowledge and land arts like pickling, preserving, seed saving, um, growing food from seed, um, composting, and and things like that. So the community farm, the idea is to have a place where people can come and learn, uh, but also experiment with different techniques and different ways of doing um, gardening and food food preservation and food growth. Uh, And then that would also support uh, further programs that might help. Um, people who are more marginalized or don't have access to good, safe food, um, or maybe just need some uh, company or friendship or job skills or things, things like that. So the vision we have really ties in food justice, but also uh, building a community that is inclusive and uh, caring towards uh, all the different people who will be coming to the center, I think.
0: So Staz, would your kids start a 4-H club?
2: Well, we were talking about it before, we even bought the farm to for them to get into it, especially our middle daughter, she's all about animals. And yeah, like she gets deep into uh, experience with animals more than I'm comfortable with, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Like that, if, even if that brings the 4-H club here to have the experience in here, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. So your kids could start one.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: That would be exciting. What what about uh, online services? Do you see a role for online services, Krista?
1: I definitely do. I think um, COVID has changed things for people quite significantly. And so when I was thinking about what we wanted to do and when we were trying to look at different models, um, there's a model in Toronto called Black Creek. And uh, they're very similar to the model that I'm dreaming about. Uh, And they've moved a lot of their programming online so they can reach the same audiences that they've built connections with um, and continue fostering that care and, and also the education that's happening. So around food safety and food justice, you know, they're doing recipes, they're doing pickling together. They're doing ways of preserving food that might be, um, new to a lot of the people accessing the services, uh, and I do think that there's also clubs that could come from this that would uh, benefit the youth in our in our um, in our town. Uh, we do have a lot of uh, concern in a small town about um, you know kids who don't have supports after school um, and might need somewhere to go or something to do to sort of to to stay on the right track. And uh, so the youth groups and the youth centers are very interested in in, uh, partnering with us for uh, various programs uh, that could be generated from our site, but also uh, reach the audiences that we would be coming uh, into contact with.
0: So Stas, talk about the importance of partnerships and building relationships with your neighbors.
1: Hmm. Talk about Bruce.
2: Um, well, I think for, for, the, for the older farmers, the, the really to build the relationships with them is to gain any experience. they have to pass it on to the younger generation. It just uh, well, while being in the trades, I find no matter how much experience you have, you always learn. Every day you can go to work and learn something new something that nobody ever seen and nobody ever done, no matter how big of a expert you are, but it also, so that's probably one of the more important things to gain the, the, the connection from the local farmers, the but it also, knowledge. yeah, traditional knowledge and just also to, to pass the help around, um, if you have, if you you've got uh, some kind of experience or expertise, you know, or you strength in certain areas and your neighbor struggles with certain other stuff. So you can kind of work it out together, help each other out. Uh, share the load. Share, yeah, share the load, exactly too.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of bartering uh, happening. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, you, we got, have, um, you got, you we, got we skills to- that you could offer. And they have knowledge and skills that they can offer you.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, no, it's already, we already, I already met uh, quite a few neighbors in the back of the property. Um, And like I said, the first thing was just, well, I have a, um, sawmill. Sawmill. The yeah. other guy has uh, some kind of different farming. Well, I'll help you this. I'll help you that. And mm. just uh, one yeah. was a
1: lamb, a lamb farmer, and a veterinarian. Yeah. So he's got experience with that. Um,
2: yeah. So it's...
1: Uh, the other thing is that a lot of the neighbors around us are uh, are a native of this region. So they either were born and grew up here, or they've been here for sixty plus years. So all of our neighbors have much more knowledge of our landscape than we do. And so it is really interesting to be able to sit with them and have a coffee and talk about oh what was this barn used for 50 years ago and what happened when that barn built uh, burnt down and, and and you know how did this we have a lime kiln on our on our property that uh, is really fascinating that we're going to uncover this season as well so it's really been interesting to meet the neighbors that way. I
2: also from. The way I always look at life, it's always, don't ever burn your bridges. You never know, yeah. you know, like, and that's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's always good to know a guy, you never know you're going to need that guy the in guy. the future. Or right. just that it, it's good to have the connections to know everybody from kind of.
1: And you build those, right? Yeah. You build oh, yeah. those by so, offering your help and then people and are always, always happy to share. Always,
2: always stay in touch, check in, Yeah. you know, like. Don't do not, like I said, don't burn bridges and do not forget uh, whoever ever even came across and said, hi to you. This is why I'm just always, it's kind of, it's like, build your community. Well, and, and for me, it's like having a phone book in my head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have a
2: good memory for people that. Uh, and well, it's like take...
0: Krista said, you're the guy who knows a guy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a difference. Yeah. So, Now we're going to look forward into the future. Three years from today, what's this farm going to look like? And is Krista going to be working full time on the farm?
1: Oh, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe five years, maybe five years. (laughs) Uh, well, hopefully. Maybe, hopefully. Uh,
2: maybe, maybe more about seven What? held Yeah, Nash
1: is nine. nine <laughs> maybe nine. So he's
2: seven years. Yeah. Seven, eight years. Once he's done his uh, high school, he can full time.
1: The, the goal is definitely for this to transition there. Uh, but we have a young family and, and a lot of expenses. So we'll see what that turns into. But in three years from now, uh, I think we, we really envision this to be a very busy place. Uh, a social hub first and followed by all of the the landscape projects that follow that to draw people in and give them things uh, that are interesting to do. Um, we've talked about things like uh, community uh, laying chicken house. So like if you wanted to try your hand at having uh, egg laying chickens, egg, hens, but you might not be in a zone where you're allowed to do that. We could have a club where you could be a participant and learn how to how to raise hands? Well, even, even
2: if you don't want to, if you don't want to have that on your property, right? right? Uh, you it's want a, not that even you can't A share it. of the responsibility.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. We are, um, Stas began beekeeping last year, so we're planning a bee, uh, community beekeeping project um, and a wildflower uh, plot that will sort of feed into that. Uh, we are planning rotational grazing pastures for uh, pigs and lambs. To help regenerate some of the soil, but also give people a chance to learn about regenerative grazing and and how we can kind of have um, a healthier relationship with animals on the landscape. Um, We're really looking forward to permaculture design to help um, regenerate some of these areas that are... Also
2: to see what works what doesn't, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all
1: about an experiment. Um, But a food forest for the community uh, definitely in three years will be established by then um, with an orchard, uh, berry bushes, uh, medicinal herbs, uh, vegetables, tea garden, herb garden, uh, all of those things will be part of the landscape. Um, likely we'll have a labyrinth on site. Um, there's a lot of enthusiasm in our town about labyrinths. Uh, we have one in, in the main town, but it's a smaller version. And, uh, I have a a dear friend who's, uh, installed probably 50 labyrinths or more in her lifetime. Um, so she'll help, she'll help uh, navigate that. Uh, we're looking at uh, having a community hub building where we can host gatherings, um, host, uh, you know, different kinds of food justice programs like, you know, uh, preserving and, and uh, seed saving and those types of things. Community gardens that will both be uh, raised beds, in ground beds, and then accessible beds for people who might be in a wheelchair or have mobility issues and needs a, sort of a special design to be able to reach all the different areas of their garden. Uh, and then we're also looking at having a loose parts park uh, and uh, maker space for primarily for children, but really for anybody, <laughs> children at heart, where they, they can come and just take things and build um, whatever, whatever they feel like doing. And a pavilion associated with that where uh, peer mentors can come and teach the use of tools and uh, tool safety and how to kind of build in a way that is, uh, you know, is more um, responsible, I guess, or safe. (laughs) Uh, And we're also looking at having uh, compost zones where we can teach people uh, the art of composting and use that to feed back into all of our systems. Um, what
2: the people teach us. It's not an people example.
1: teach us. Yeah, <laughs> we are definitely not experts. So the idea is to really recruit all of the local experts, um, and and we can learn as we grow with the community by developing a space that is really multi zone, multi use, and has a little bit of something for everyone. Mm-hmm. So
2: and also it will open up ideas for the youth, I guess, mm-hmm. to see where, where they what what their strengths are, what they mm-hmm. like, what they don't like, maybe. Know, help them with their future decisions, yeah. what they want to go into. and
1: Yeah, job uh, skills. Yeah,
2: or anything. Yep. Like what's, what's your hobby? What's your passion, right? Well,
1: they were thinking a hydroponics agro project. And um, there's uh, s- several companies now that do hydroponics in sea cans, like storage cans. Um, and so those are really interesting uh, projects that feed back into the community 12 months a year. And so those are also projects that would be really appropriate to give to the youth or to, uh, you know, individuals who might have disabilities or whatnot. And it would be because of the routine involved and, you know, the step-by-step nature of that type of work, it's a really good way to train people uh, to prepare them for for jobs and, and kind of include them in the community um, in, in really great paid work. Um,
0: I think both of you are going to be working full-time on this. <laughs> I think, I think you got so many projects.
1: <laughs> Maybe.
0: Uh, or you're going to have to delegate them to your kids. Yeah. And to uh, hire a general manager to run some of yeah. this stuff for you. But well, the I- idea
1: is really to have a lot to do and for the, a lo- the community to have things to do when they come. It's not just about coming and walking around the space. It's about coming and having a sense of belonging because you have a sense of ownership. So you're part of a project, you're part of a club and you have a responsibility to that. And, and I think that that's important for our youth to have access to, but I think it's also a missed opportunity in terms of the intergenerational piece, uh, within our community where our young people and our older people can kind of share that responsibility and share the learning together. So the fact that we have a lot to do is really great because it'll keep people busy and talking to each other and.
0: And Stas, that's where them. you're going to need the bus to bring yeah. people in from uh, Ottawa, from uh, Quebec, from all over the place.
1: Now we need a bus driver. Yes. <laughs> another so we, so we have a
0: guy. We have a guy for that. <laughs> yeah, Stas knows a guy. <laughs> that, that, that's your motto. Stas knows guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, we have a guy. For that.
0: Well, look, I, as a as a family, you've. Come upon a very exciting project. And one of the key things is, as a social enterprise, you're focused on giving back to community. And that's very key to being a social enterprise. And that may be a term that you're not familiar with, but you are definitely a social enterprise. Mm -hmm. So how do people get a hold of you if they want more information?
1: Um, Right now, they can reach me at my email address, uh, which is mccoolcrista at gmail.com. And that's spelled M, like Mary, C-C-O-O-L, like Lucy, C-H-R-I-S-T-A at gmail.com. And uh, once we've defined the name of the farm, we'll be definitely uh, having... Uh, farm email as well but for now that's the best way to reach us i think
0: okay well thank you for your time this morning and uh, have a great day and buy more tools